Hey friends, this is Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. So on February 22nd, five years ago, I've done this coffee cupping with Belleville that made me want to do coffee for real. Mm-hmm. It's because the first coffee on the on the cupping table, which was washed Guatemalan from Antigua region, from the La Vista that we still buy today, uh, Hunapu is called. It smelled like my grandmother's cakes when she opened the, the oven and I was coming from the outside into her kitchen and it took me back to being five and touched me a lot and made me feel home. And then on 22nd of February, the following year, I met this guy I was telling you earlier who ended up being a very important person in my life in all senses of the world. And then on 22nd of February, the third year, I was desperately waiting for something to happen and nothing happened. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, fingers crossed. Yeah, I was like, like, I'm so present in my life today, but that made that nothing happen. So now I'm hoping I'll forget it's February 22nd. So I had this thought when um, I was thinking about recording this earlier and I was thinking about what you told me earlier, because when I first got to your apartment and we were going to go out to dinner, you called the restaurant and you made like a reservation. And then you mentioned that like people have a lot of trouble saying your name here. And then that made me very self-conscious that I'm not saying your name right. Oh, my name. Yeah. yeah. I was like, it's Mahela, right? Michaela? It, it, it works. It's very close. It's, oh, my uh, gosh. Now I'm really embarrassed. I knew it. Like I knew it. Then I got in my head about it. So I was hoping that you could tell everyone for the record. How we pronounce your name correctly. Right. So, no offense if you won't pronounce it correctly, because I moved on. But it's Mihaela Yordake. Mm-hmm. Wait, say the, say your last name again. Yordake. Yordake. Yeah, that's actually very good. Okay, that makes me feel good. Yeah. Um, I have, like, a thing with my name because people pronounce it right, but they write it wrong all the time. Ashley? Yes. The Ashley part. Yeah, which is funny because I have my little necklace that says my name on it. And people, uh, so it's A-S-H-L-A-Y, and then people invert the H and the E. Or the L and the E, excuse me. So it's A-S-H-E-L-I, they say. That doesn't make sense. Right? Okay, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> for thinking no, that. No, but like, letter-wise. No. no. I mean, in, in, in France, it makes sense because you would pronounce the H as, uh, like you would say, your dash. And they have no name that starts with I, so I guess... You get, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, your, your brain stops for a second. But my, in Spanish, you don't say H's. So my grandparents pronounce the H as nothing. So it's Asli. 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 I know, right? Isn't that cute? <laughs> I mean, that's one way to say it. So now they just say Nina, which just means girl. Yeah. They say Nina, venga acá. Like, Nina, come here. Yeah. That's, that's, I like Nina a lot. It's cute when you didn't grow up with it, you know? That's a good point. Yeah. Did you have any nicknames growing up? Yeah. And I, my colleagues are trying to give me one now, which I don't, I refuse, I, I completely ignore its existence. Uh, I had nicknames, none, none that stuck. And I think my favorite to this day is my best friend's kids. They cannot pronounce Mihaela. So for some reason, they ended up calling me Miahela, mm-hmm. which I like so much. I almost wish I was. <laughs> Because it's when it comes from a five-year-old, it's very it's sweet. adorable. Yeah, Mia Hela, and mm-hmm. now the parents call me Mia Hela as well after the mm-hmm. kids. So I, that is 
that seems to stuck with their family. But then it was like Miha, Mish. Mm-hmm. People here are trying Mimi, which I'm profoundly against. <laughs> I don't know why. It reminds me of Gigi, which is a typical young prostitute name. <laughs> really? Specifically young prostitutes? In my mind, it's probably... I must have seen it in a movie or something. But Gigi makes me think of that. And then Mimi makes me think of Gigi. That's and fair. I was like, I don't want to be mm-hmm. called Mimi. Can, can you tell us where we're recording right now? So we're recording in half of my house, which is a small house like every Parisian house. But, uh, yeah, we're in my, I guess, living room. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I thought it was funny earlier when we were we were just out to dinner and you mentioned to our other friend Jules that you didn't think that a lot of light came in, which was funny because I took a nap right here on the couch around um, one, like one o'clock in the afternoon. And what woke me up was the sun shining in my eyes you got the 10 minutes of bliss (laughs) yeah so and also it's winter so we don't have the trees don't have leaves in summer they'll eat my son the that's funny i like that phrase and um i was in san sebastian um in spain and it's right on the it's right on the ocean in the bay uh bay biscay and they were talking about how the town is built above the water, and sometimes the ocean will try to take the town back, they say. Yeah. And I've never heard... That sounds about right. So it was funny. Like, I like the idea of, like, inanimate objects, like trees and oceans, like, having feelings. Like, yeah. So, how did you get started in coffee? By pure chance? Mm-hmm. I wanted to say by mistake. I don't think it was by mistake. I think it was a... I think I needed a way out of where I was in um, mentally. And then a coffee ended up being that. So I was... I, I just moved to Paris. And I was not drinking any coffee at the time. I thought coffee is crap for all my life prior to, to getting into it. And then I was living with this person who would refuse to let me use their internet or their Wi-Fi or anything. So I had to go to coffee shops in order to use internet to find any job or another place to live. And I happened to live next to KB Coffee Shop, which is it's still one of my favorite coffee shops here. And it's one of the main coffee shops that open, the first ones that open. Then they had a very large menu, but the filter coffee was the cheapest option, and that was the only thing I could afford. So I would have one filter coffee and then hang two hours on the internet, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I never, but I'm never bothered with customers that do that. So it's like I was poor as hell. That's all I could afford, and it was good. It was genuinely good, and it got me very curious. And then I asked questions, uh, team was the manager of of KB Coffee Shop at the time, and now he owns a coffee shop in the south of Paris, which is great as well. And he was one of the most passionate baristas I've ever met, and he got me into asking better questions and being more curious, and that led to eventually uh, going to Belleville to attend that cupping. Yeah, can you talk about that cupping? Because you've mentioned it a couple times. It seems like it's um, like a formative experience for you. 
Yeah, I I am in coffee because of that cupping. I probably am roasting coffee because I like that cupping so much that I ended up liking cupping coffees more than anything uh, that I do right now. So it was my first experience, but I've decided I'll take it very seriously. Because I don't, I don't believe in changing jobs later in life. I was like 23 probably without going full on. So I figured I need to like this if I want to do coffee. Otherwise, I shouldn't bother. Mm-hmm. And then I went like took notes. I was like super like on it about the entire experience. And the first uh, thing we're told to do is to go and smell the coffees. It's not even tasting them. Just go and take a tour and smell the coffee grounds and try to put a word on it. And I like, I've liked this with Belgium since that we've never, we've never tried to force people into our vocabulary vocabulary we've always allowed them to just say okay if it reminds you of a song just tell me which song if it reminds you of a frequency of a walk in the forest that's like great you don't need to go further and then we've been encouraged to do that and that's when I smelled it and I could swear I'm in my grandmother's kitchen as a five-year-old and I felt I felt more at home probably when I was five in the world than ever since. So something about being back at that moment of my existence through the smell of this Guatemalan coffee has uh, has impacted me a lot. And I remember putting the cup down and telling myself, I will do coffee, period. That's kind of it. What, is, what was like your next step after that? Because you've mentioned before that it wasn't like easy for you to get into coffee. Well, it did not feel easy in retrospect. I realized it was it wasn't the most complicated thing I've done. Uh, first thing I went and I asked Tomai and David, who were hosting the cupping, how can I do this? And then they tried to sell me chemics and filters for home. I was <laughs> like, no, how can I have your job? Which was probably the question I asked. Then they laughed and they're like, send us a resume and then we'll like. We have a bunch of wholesale clients. Maybe they'll be interested. And I kept on writing to everyone. I wrote, Nico will hate me that I keep mentioning this, but I wrote to KB, I think, three times and sent my email twice because they didn't get back to me about it. But I had no experience. I was coming. I've never had a proper job besides teaching music, which is, I guess, not necessarily doesn't have that much in contact with hospitality at first glance and no one would everyone was like oh you you seem so passionate that's like such a beautiful vibe to have just get some experience and come back and I'm sure we can figure something out mm-hmm. like I can work for free just right. let me just let me learn I also need the experience yeah like, it's like I, I mean sh- sure but someone has to take a chance on me mm-hmm. and eventually I had an interview with 10 bells and a month afterwards, they had a change of heart and they're like, do you want to come and trial? And I had no idea at Timbo's is like the hot spot on the market or it's where the cool kids hang. I had never been there before. So I've came the day prior to my interview just to understand where things are placed. And then, and then that was about it. And one day led to another day, to another week, to another month. And then here I am today. Five years later, I guess. I think um, you mentioned that like Ten Bells was kind of the hot spot at that time. Can you talk about like what 
the coffee scene was like in Paris at that time. This was what, probably, you said five years ago, so 2014, 2013? Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I'm not sure I know exactly how the, like, I'm not sure I'm able to take the pulse of the coffee market just because I have, a, my experience is quite particular in itself. One, I'm 100% the product of the French market, mm-hmm. which is funny because I get, I hear a lot of, like, shade thrown into the French specialty coffee market. And I was like, everything I've learned, I've learned here. I have learned nothing else from anywhere else except this market. So on one hand, to me, it seems like it's a very rich, full of knowledge market. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case, but that's how it felt. And back in the day, you had more and more coffee shops opening. I guess it was just on the verge when we had the boom in coffee shops and we went from like five to 150 right now in Paris, I think. So that was interesting. And then also there is the same, people were having the same three, four roasters, which meant I could go in six shops and try the same coffee with six different recipes and take notes as a customer on, oh, okay, this recipe makes me taste this. This recipe makes me taste this. Then I I became such an annoying customer. I had people call to mind and be like, can you ask your barista to stop bothering bothering us uh, with the recipe (laughs) on Saturday because we don't have time for her. So, but that was, I learned a lot through, through that. And then I guess there, there are a lot of expats, uh, quite few French people, uh, not so many people into filter coffee, more on the espresso side of things. It has changed in the last two, three years. And at least at Belver, we have a lot of French customers, probably more so than the, than English speaking or like expat population. How did you get from being a barista at 10 Bells to your current position now, which I want to say you're the head of roasting for Belleville. Like that's your actual, that's your official title, right? Yeah. So how'd you get from barista to that? Um, I was working as a barista and managing tempos. I was bored. <laughs> I I was bored, but I think I think when you, I I obsessed over tempos. I was there sixteen hours a day doing triangulations by myself, doing cuppings at night by myself. I, w- I went there at midnight if I felt lonely and listened to Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony and practice later. I was like, I had people send me home, like, just take me out. So I've burned out, I think, a little bit in that place. And as much as I like my customers at one point, I didn't feel like I'm, I'm learning. And also Temple uh, went in this very exciting direction with developing a bread line and doing all of these things, which... As interesting as they appear to me now from afar, were not something I had any personal interest in. So I, I knew I kind of need to do something else. And I just went to, to Belgium and I asked them if they have any opening. If not, I'll just go elsewhere because I didn't see myself work for someone else. Probably because I'm incredibly loyal and because I fell in love with French coffee through them. They were my reference. Uh, and then they they needed help on the production line, so I started just helping with bagging and then learning how to roast. And then we opened La Fontaine, which took everyone's, which took a lot of time from everyone's work. So I ended up roasting everything very soon. And one thing led to another, and I well, it's like a year and a half ago, I ended up just taking over the entire production 
side of things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I mean, it was very, very organic. I never went into it being like, oh, I really want to roast coffee. I do feel I have the right personality to roast coffee. And while I think everyone can roast coffee or understand how to roast coffee or do it for a little bit, I think it takes a certain mindset to do it as a job. And it's way less sexy than people make it sound. (laughs) And there's a lot of just pure factory production, um, monotonous, is that the word? Monotonous. Oh, monotonous. Monotonous, sorry. Um, No, you got it. uh, Time. Which is funny because I feel like I'm going back to what I was doing before. I was studying classical guitar and spending eight, ten hours practicing just like ten measures of a Bach fugue. And I feel like I'm doing the same, but with coffee and a big machine instead of with a guitar and a score of music. Mm-hmm. It's That's that's an interesting comparison because now I'm thinking about you practicing classical guitar and I wonder, like, did you... Did you enjoy that process? Like, what got you into classical music and what kind of made you switch directions? I loved practicing. I I like repetition. I hate routine, but I love repetition, which I don't really understand why I feel differently about it. (laughs) I started playing guitar together with my sister because my mom has always dreamed of playing guitar. But she was one child of 11 in a small agricultural town in communist Romania, which was not necessarily the place you're going to start buying instruments to every one of your kids. And then as soon as she afforded to get us into playing guitar, we started playing guitar. And when I was 16, I I fell in love with classical music. I've always liked it, but I've never necessarily taken the time to dive deep. And then when that happened, I was so obsessed with classical music that I kind of had to do guitar because that was the only instrument I knew how to play. Mm-hmm. And it took me until I was 22 to decide that uh, guitar is not enough for me and I'm not enough for the instrument. And we're not necessarily compatible in, ter- in terms of uh, a lifetime of obsessing, obsessing over it. What parallels do you find in playing guitar and roasting coffee besides repetition? And practice really everything. I think the only reason I'm I'm decently good at my job is for having, or the only reason I've learned so much in coffee that far, that fast, is because uh, I've had a discipline. And classical music teaches you, so I think discipline is the first thing. Then being able to solve everything. Like, even as a barista, I knew I can do everything because all it takes is practice. Then you'll start. We start with music and you have to achieve a certain speed because you need to play a couple of measures with notes way faster than your entire score without losing rhythm. And it seems impossible in the beginning, but then all it takes is practice. So I have learned that it may take me four months to achieve that speed. There's no way I will not achieve it. It's pure practice. So then I got the same with the barista job. And then roasting-wise, I think... It's being in tune to your instrument and taking every single variance in consideration. So for example, with a guitar, especially a classical guitar, which is made from wood that's not that much treated, you will react to the environment. So as soon as the weather changes, the wood will like swallow up or like it will, it will move as well. And then the sound will change because of how the wood has changed. And then depending on how big a hole will be, or if you're changing countries, if you're changing seasons, what 
I need to do as a performer to achieve the same colors I had practiced in my room has to change. So then I will change my own technique and my own approach every single time just because the instrument has reacted to its environment, which is 100% what's happening roasting. So I will change every single day my reaction, even if it's tiny changes like 10% more gas here or 0.2 degrees sooner or further, I will constantly change my technique and my approach because the roaster and the coffee have reacted with the environment in a different way. So that's one of the big main things. And then just being able to focus. Like I can roast eight hours and focus. That's mm-hmm. not, it's easy. Yeah, when you were, we were at the Belleville Roastery earlier today and you mentioned that there was a day where you had to roast for like 12 hours and you were like, yeah. this is a new record for me. And I was like, immediately in my head, I was like, oh my God. Like, that's yeah. so, I don't know if I could do though. that. I could not have done it sooner because in the beginning it was mentally hard where after five, six hours, I was tired. Then I was, I don't like, I know no one likes fucking up. I genuinely don't like fucking up. So I don't like making mistakes and it makes me cry when I make mistakes. So then I remember being so tired. I was crying because I couldn't focus. But then you can, if you know yourself enough, and I think music teaches you that. So I almost fell asleep playing guitar once and they would have crashed both of us because I would have fallen on it. And knowing yourself, knowing you will allow yourself to get there makes you just take care of it. So I'm all, I am also have a phobia of fires, which is funny because we roast on a, on a gas roaster. <laughs> but it makes me triple. I will check five times if I put that gas off, if I'm tired. And I'll write on pieces of papers all of the important information in case I can't focus. So that helps. But I would not recommend to anyone to roast 12 hours a day. That was it was half silly, half necessity, and probably most of it was just, I need to prove myself I'm this badass that I can roast for mm-hmm. 12 hours in a row. I find, like, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time with you, but I feel like the time that I've spent with you, we've exchanged a lot of, like, really, like, intimate details about each other in our lives. And I think something that I find really interesting about you is that you're both very, like, practical and you can see what's in front of you and get it done. But at the same time, you're also very in tune with your emotions. Like you seem like someone who follows like a, like a movement or you're like, this is meant to be like, you were just talking about how like the 22nd of February is very important to you. Um, and I don't know, that seems like just this like beautiful, like combined, I don't know. I find that so fascinating. Cause I feel like people are kind of one way or the other. They're either all heart or all head. And you're this like really beautiful mix of both. I don't know. That's well, not a question. <laughs> but like, how do you, how do you like reconcile both? Do you ever feel like you follow like your brain more than your heart? Or do you ever feel like you have to tell one to be quiet versus the other? I have to tell my brain to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much because I follow it, but because I'm not, I lose presence in the moment because I'm in my head in some imaginary movie. And that bothers me because I, I, I really want to learn. That's one thing I'm working on right now, learning how to be present, which is great because roasting coffee is like meditation. Um, And I know other roasters think roasting coffee is just meditation as well. And you get a nice cup of coffee at the end of it. Trish uh, was sharing this thought with me and I fully, um, fully agree. 
I think I'm, I've always had a very strong intuition. I've always trusted and I've never been wrong, which I was afraid for a long time saying out loud, oh, I've never, saying out loud, I'm never wrong in my intuition. But I, whenever I've been honest with how I felt, I've never gotten any situation wrong. I've always read things right. So I trust that more than anything. And then I think I'm just naturally inclined to use my brain more than my intuition my intuition it just happens to be strong enough um yeah i don't know yeah i i didn't really ask you a question so like i can see where that's hard to answer um what what other qualities do you think makes you adept at roasting versus anything else because you mentioned um your background in guitar and having the ability to focus like what else do you think about your personality makes you inclined to be good at roasting being a perfectionist, which we talked about, I think that's it's very important. And then I'm I'm quite fine with being miserable about something, <laughs> which I will I will probably dislike the coffees I roast more so than I like them. And in a way, it's not good because it it gotten me for a while from not liking coffee at all because I was just tasting. I was like, oh, this is not good enough. This is that. This is that. This is probably probably this happened, and I was unable to see the good things in it, or like see for some for some reason for like half an year I was incapable to give any tasting notes because all I could think was like, body does not long enough to sustain the acidity and the sweetness or all of these things. But in the same time, I think that's what's making me try to to reach the best I can imagine from those coffees every single time. And I also can sleep through it. Like, I'll be unhappy. I'll be like, okay, I'll just go to bed, wake up in the morning, and then just do it better. Um, and probably the fact that... I, it's weird because I'm a perfectionist and I've always hated, hated not doing things right from the get-go. My mom told me that when I was five, I started going to kinder kindergarten in the city. And prior to that, we just lived in the countryside and I played outside. So I've never written, I've never held a pen. I never knew how that works. So at kindergarten, I was the only kid who had never had any sort of prior experience with writing. And she said I refused to touch the pencil or the paper for weeks. And I went behind the sofa at home and I practiced on my own. Then when I did it in front of everyone in kindergarten, it was really good. I was like, man, if at five I had that, it was going to be hard to move on. But for some reason, coffee has allowed me to fuck up in public and be fine with it. I don't, I can't remember what I was saying with this. But um, I think that kind of freedom that coffee has taught me that it's okay to do your best and it hasn't ha it doesn't have to be perfect so the fact that every single day you go back to work and all you have to try to do is to be better than yesterday and as good as you can be in that one day i think that's helped me a lot i think um i think there's something really <coughs> beautiful about how well you know yourself too like that's incredibly admirable it makes me want to analyze myself and like the things about me that make me who I am um, and you mentioned part of knowing yourself is from classical guitar training like how do you how would you describe yourself to other people that's 
I mean, it's so weird hearing this because you're the second person who's telling me this in in the last month, I think. And I feel like I don't know myself any one bit. And I think my obsession with self-reflection comes from the fact that I feel like I'm missing some very important knowledge of myself I should have gotten by now. Um, so I, I don't really know how I would describe myself because I appear way less figured out myself than I probably sound. I feel like that's part of like your personality though, right? Like it's part of you is that you're always learning and you're always looking to learn more. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of... Like, I'm, I'm curious. I think life is, on one hand, is way too long to be just to, to waste it on things. And on the other hand, it's way too short to be bored. No, the other way around. It's way too long to be bored. And it's way too short to waste it on, on silly things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have this very weird idea that well, I, I, I kept bringing this up, how I think I believe in like past lives and all of these things. And I feel like I've, there's a part of me that feels like I've been here before. And there's another very strong part of me that feels like I genuinely do not want to come back. And I want to make sure I nail everything and there's no unfinished, unclear business. So I'm kind of obsessed with if I've harmed someone, just healing it, closing it, moving on. So I... In case there are past lives, I don't want to have to come back to fix anything. Mm-hmm. So maybe that makes me think a lot about how, just the way I interact my, with my environment. Mm-hmm. What do you think the future looks like for you then? Oh, I know. Um, I don't know. You can dream wildly. It doesn't have to be. I want to travel. Mm-hmm. I've never traveled and I really want to travel. It's like for one year or two. I would love to see one mountain of every big range of mountains on this earth because I like mountains a lot. And then I would... This year is very, very weird and special in the same time. And I don't know if... It's ever since... After 28th in September. But ever, ever since this year has started, it's starting... It's actually obviously shaping itself into a year where I'm discovering how amazing people are. And I'm not, actually, that's a good point, and I never make it. I never got into coffee caring about people. People were just an excuse for me to get to do the best coffee I can do. And it's, and in a way, it was the same uh, as an interpreter, because you're on a stage, there's light on you. Then you have a mass of people that are like a mass of energy in front of you that you cannot see or name. So then there's this collective idea. It's very impersonal, and then coffee was the same. I didn't like if if someone didn't like it, I would taste it, but not be necessarily because I cared about their opinion. I tasted it because I, I wanted to make sure I'm not failing the coffee. And it was the same. I don't want to fail the score. Like I don't want to fail Bach. I don't want to fail. I don't, I've never played Beethoven, but if I would have played him, I'd be like, I don't want to fail him more so than the a thousand people in my audience. So I feel like coffee has somehow changed that perspective. And it's taken me four or five years. And now I'm in a place where I'll go to work and I'll see someone do a tiny, tiny, tiny thing amazingly. I'll be like, oh my God, people are these amazing creatures that have all of this stunning potential. And then I'm just in awe of how beautiful we can be. So I don't really know where that's going to lead. 
but it is making me way more open to everyone around. And then I, I realize how I share way more of myself without any sort of secret agenda or expectation just because I'm like, we're alive and free and having natural wine, <laughs> like bloody Paris from all places. And who knows if we'll still be here in five, ten years or not. So I'm, I'm kind of just open to whatever will come. Mm-hmm. I want to be more present, travel. I want to go, I want to see where coffee grows. I haven't done that yet. And I know everyone dreams about it, but I really want to, I really want to see with myself that side of things because I've only read about it and I've only asked about it. And I feel like it takes presence in the place to feel the energy of the place. So that's, that's about it, I think. Uh, so I visited you today at Belleville's kind kind of new, like roasting space yeah. and um, retail space, and something that has been, I guess, pretty prevalent since La Fontaine opened is this reclamation of French coffee, like the idea that like we're going to reclaim the idea of what a French roast is. We're going to make specialty coffee in very Parisian like traditional cafes so can you talk a little bit about like what what that means and like why why that's been important to you guys i think it's been very important to to Thomas, david and jeff which are the three three owners and founders of the company because they're all three of them are people who love the french culture um two of them are french one is american they they love the French culture and I think they understand uh, they understand the beauty in it and they also understand the sides that are maybe less less pretty to look at. And then from the beginning it it made sense to start doing this job in France and embrace a fully French identity. Um, and it was a bet that paid off really well. Personally, I like I like this whole approach because I like organic things, and I I wasn't like this when I was very young. But more and more, I feel like the militant I'm gonna come and change the market and change the mm-hmm. world, and I will do my way. Doesn't necessarily bring more than a group of gigs, and more. And while that's very valuable on one hand, I feel like on the French market you have all of these people who love to taste like people didn't necessarily understand why what specialty coffee tried to do in the beginning but they understand wine they understand cheese they'll you know they'll go and buy their bread from their bread person and then the butter from another person and the cheese from another person and the meat from another person so there's this whole idea of craft that's very respected within the culture except coffee used to be that well probably probably until like 30, 40 years ago. And we had a lot of people in their 60s tell us about how they used to go and buy freshly roasted coffee every Sunday on their walk. And it's it's in the nostalgia, nostalgia for, for the past. And we just wanted to bring that back and use everything we've learned through specialty coffee and just do it our way. So like pay really well for our green coffee, trace everything, be fully transparent, and then develop blends where we put the, the coffees we normally put in a single origin. So those are like 87, 88, 89 score coffees that are blended together just to create another product and are on their own 
a single origins in the menu. Um, I'm not sure this makes a lot of No, that made total sense. sense. That made complete sense. Okay. Um, but you talked a little bit about blending, which is something that <coughs> you guys at, um, you folks at Belleville have kind of embraced. Like you've changed your whole menu based on yeah. that. Can you talk a little bit about yes. that? That was actually one of the most, I think with Belleville I was, well, with coffee, I was at the right time in the right space. So after, um, after I started working with them, we started having this idea of what if we change a little bit the way, what if we change the storytelling of our coffee? Because our goal has always been reach the end consumer. So we've always kept in, in mind the fact that we need a vocabulary that everyone can understand, even if they don't have access to the knowledge as professional and especially coffee do. And then we figured it'd be easier to create these identities that will speak to people through time. And then on the side, keep the single origins that have, or bring sing, either bring very interesting single origins or keep those that have created the name for themselves. So we have producers like, you've tried Neptali Bautista's coffee. And people will ask about him all year long and want to see photos and want to know how he's doing and they know we visit him every February March so they'll come and like oh how is he how is his family and and this is this is not coffee people this is just like customers who who come and enjoy his coffee so that happened with a couple of our single origins but it had failed to happen with everything so we figured blends could actually give people what they need which is a certain aromatic profile that they want to have day in, day out, that's going to bring them happiness, basically, in terms of coffee, I guess. So that's one of the, that's one of the things that sparked our pursuit of, uh, in, in this direction. And we ended up creating a menu of six blends, and they each have a very, very clear personality. And they started as names and then as like phrases and characters, almost like you would write fiction, except you're trying to do it through taste. So we have, for example, Le Mistral. Mistral is this wind that blows in the south of France, and you can feel it incredibly strong in summer, and it's very, very refreshing, almost violently so. And we figured it'd be great to have a coffee that keeps that feeling of fresh summer in Marseille all year long. Then in when we launched it, it was a blend of two coffees, an Ethiopian and a, and a Kenyan coffee, both washed, roasted together, and you you would get a, every flavor you wanted from both of them. So you'll get like the freshness of the Kenyans and the acidity, but the floral and the sweetness, and it just felt like a breeze. Except it's your cup of coffee. Then we have pantufla, which pantufla is the it's a, the house fluffy sleeper in French, uh, the word, and we wanted a. a we wanted a coffee that would give you the comfort being in your pajamas and in your fluffy shoes, in your home, <laughs> in your couch would, would give you. It's like very round, chocolatey, very soft, full body, but nothing very intense. The kind of coffee you'd have and enjoy without necessarily realizing your enjoyment comes from your cup of coffee. So that's a blend of uh, Costa Rican coffee and Brazilian coffee. So there's, it's been fascinating. It's been fascinating having to be creative and figuring out uh, figuring out just a, a story in words and then doing all of the work to figure out which coffees and what type of taste 
will recreate it in your imagination the story you had previously wrote. Mm. I love that. I love that idea of um, trying to recreate a feeling more than anything. It yeah, seems. It, it's really, which is why even now trying to describe it to you, I want to use like gestures. Yeah. And like part of it, like almost like you hug yourself. Right. Like you hug yourself for the, yes. the, the one where you're in your pajamas and I mean, I'm not, I can't recreate wind, but I want to feel like my hair being... Yeah, exactly. What like what do you want people to know about you? Like, What would you want people to say about you as a coffee professional and as a person? That I'm present and paying attention. I think it's what I'm trying to do. Um, and I fail every day, but I'm lucky to have people just pinpointing it when, when that happens. Um, I've worked quite a lot the last five years, so I've never until recently taken the time to reflect upon my work or if I've done anything or where I am. Or even just, even being Belvis, like head roaster, it has never crossed my mind. It's this statues thing, because I was like, okay, it's just a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of cool work for people I adore, but it's a lot of work. So it's only now I think I'm... I'm taking a step back to reflect on where I am just because I realize I'm in a position I need to do better for for people around me because only because I can or only because I'm given the opportunity to meet people that could help us all do something else. Uh, so I would like to do more community-based events. I would like to to just pay more attention to the way my my friends feel in this industry uh, that are probably a bit... I've never been very sensible to outside opinions. As long as the people I directly worked for validated me, and that has always happened, I've never had an issue with someone else putting my work down in any way. I had tried to see their point. If I didn't see their point, I just moved on. But I realized it's, it's not as easy for, for... Just for friends I have... And especially for women friends I have who are, who are just talk not necessarily in very nice terms. So all of these things are on my mind right now. So I'd like to pay attention and try to do something that reaches a higher platform. Michaela, okay, thank you for sharing your story and being so like open and transparent. Thank you so much for being here in my house. Also, thank you for letting me stay in your house. So it's my pleasure. Thank you for listening, everybody. Boss Barista is made by me, Ashley Rodriguez, in collaboration with Good Beer Hunting, which is an industry-leading design studio, editorial platform, and podcast examining all the ways we look at the things that we eat and drink. You can check out more at goodbeerhunting.com. Seriously, their stories are incredible. My favorite series right now is the Humanity and Hospitality series that they've been running for the past couple of months, examining different ways that we look at people in the service industry. Special thanks to Jesse Raub and Jordan Stalling. Also special thanks to our music contributors, the band Lost in the Sun. You've made this podcast sound incredible. I'm just looking for a better day.